Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Joining us on the phone now, the CEO of Landmark Cinemas, Bill Walker. Bill, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. I've been curious to know um, how uh, the cinemas, the theaters are doing, including Landmark Cinemas, um, with COVID-19. Um, in the States, we're seeing some big chains shuttering and, and at least temporarily shutting down, in some cases closing for good. Uh, how are things going here in, in Winnipeg and across the country for you? You know, it's a really interesting time for the movie business. It's it's We're in a unique venue that safely reopened fairly early on in this and, and has really demonstrated for a couple of months in Canada. We've had millions of people come through our theaters and not once have we been implicated in a, in a contact tracing incident or something that's happened with one of our guests that's even been suspected to be related to the theater experience. And so I feel really good about the safety experience that we've created. The challenge is that we're operating what I feel is a really safe venue that people can still come out and enjoy some entertainment. We just don't have those movies that everyone actually wants to come see because the studios, given what's going on in the U.S. Uh, and around the world with certain markets not being open or certain chains not being open, the economics of them releasing movies isn't very good. And so it, it creates a really difficult da- dynamic for us in Canada that have reasonably speaking kept control of COVID-19 in a way that we should still be able to keep business open. We have a safe venue, but we don't have a product to sell. How long can this go on? Because at some point it's going to get dicey, right? Or, or am I wrong about that? Because if Hollywood mm-hmm. continues to shelve these movies or, or decide to you know show them at home to people as opposed mm-hmm. to in a theater like one of yours, well, that's a problem. There's no question. Listen, a lot of news has been made about movies going direct to streaming and VOD and other mechanisms. All of that are things that studios need to do during a pandemic. And what is equally important are the number of movies that haven't gone to that mechanism because they know that you can't make the economics work on James Bond trying to sell it as a PVOD movie. Even the guys that released Trolls on Easter weekend in the most lockdown period that we all experienced would still reflect on the economics of PVOD in a, in a home entertainment environment as not being something that's going to support 100, 200, 300 million dollar movie investments. And so long term, I'm very confident we will get back to a movie experience that includes theatrical being the first window and the most important window for the overall life cycle and economics of movie. Really, it's how we bridge from where we are today to that point into the future. And I think what the government is doing and trying to figure out rent subsidies, wage subsidies for businesses like ours to try and bridge to that that day in the future are really, really important. Uh, You know, other businesses, restaurants is a good example. Uh, Other businesses have uh, pivoted and uh, changed up the way they do things to try and, you know, generate revenue through this pandemic. I'm wondering if you guys are looking at anything like that, and I'll give you an example. I was reading about Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in the States, Mm -hmm. and they were toying with the idea of renting out an entire theater to uh, a group, you know, a bubble, friends and family, for like 150 bucks. And uh, the last I saw, they've got 700 groups of families and coworkers that are booked to kind of take over a whole theater. Is is that the sort of stuff you're looking at too? Yeah, we're we're actually we're actually doing it. We're doing private rentals for as small as groups as twenty people, as long as they're in the same cohort and they're they're a part of a, a group that's comfortable assembling together. They're still maintaining social distance and, and in the seating in the auditorium, we're by no means filling an auditorium, but we're we're booking private rentals 
in all of our theaters every week uh, for whether it's a small work group, a small personal group, or just a family that wants to reunite. Heck, we even hosted a wedding in Hamilton last week where uh, because of the changes in Ontario, the group had nothing to do with their wedding reception. So they had a ceremony somewhere outside and then the wedding party came and watched a movie together in our Hamilton location. Hmm, very cool. And so if people come to Landmark Cinemas, what are they watching now? I guess there are some new movies, but there are also classics from the past. Uh, tell us what you're showing on the big screens right now at Landmark, and then I've got one more question for you. Yeah, we've we've got a couple new movies this weekend. One of them is War with Grandpa. It looks really good as a fun family movie. That's a new one to put on our screens, which was exciting. But then we're still playing things like Tenant, which was the Christopher Nolan movie that kind of kicked into our business that people have really enjoyed, and it's still finding an audience. We've got some limited-release kind of art-type product that's that's seeing the light of day, which is good to see. And then we're back playing Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and, and a bunch of classics as well. And, and the price is varied, whether it's new product or old product. Um, but there's there's some diversity on the screens for everybody to, uh, to get out and enjoy a movie. And I've been talking to some Canadian filmmakers who are getting an opportunity to have their movies on the big screens where they wouldn't have been, uh, you know, received that opportunity in the past. And I, I know many of them uh, have been excited about that. So, you know, you, you do what you have to do as we uh, deal with the pandemic. My, my final question uh, for you, and then I'll let you go, Bill, um, is how long, what are you hearing from Hollywood? How long before you're going to start getting a regular stream of new movies, including some of the blockbusters, like you mentioned, James Bond? Yeah. Honestly, I think those biggest movies are probably going to delay until the first quarter of next year. I think I think those movies require mass assembly and probably require almost all of our occupancy to be back. And remember, we're already operating only in, in Manitoba at about 30% of our occupancy. And so on a James Bond weekend, we need to be able to sell 70, 80% of the seats. Like it's just the way those movies work. And so I think we're likely to see a lot of the bigger titles continue to stay on the sidelines, which which is not the end of the world when you're in this business long term, because you want James Bond to do big business. You want Black Widow to do what it should do. So so we can wait for some of those big movies. But what we do need are the studios to step up with some small and medium movies to keep movie theaters uh, solvent and just surviving, frankly. Bill, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it, and best of luck. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the interest. Joining us now on the phone, the sports doctor, Dave Patrician. You can follow him on Twitter at the sports doctor. Dave, hello. Hey, how, how are you? Excellent. I am thankful for you, buddy. I am thankful to have a friendship like yours, and I'm thankful, uh, uh, like, and there's a sneak peek to your Winnipeg Sun column tomorrow. You're thankful for a lot of things, too, but be careful. I am. Yes, but be careful. Right. That's very important. And, and boy, I'll tell you. Uh, with uh, three more deaths today and 84 new cases, including 64 in Winnipeg. That is why uh, we need to be careful. Before we get uh, going here on sports, I know it is your parents' wedding anniversary on the weekend, and it's a big one. Absolutely. Uh, this, we're celebrating it tomorrow. There was actually yesterday. Uh, ah. uh, I found out the hard way, of course, uh, because uh, <laughs> really, you think about it, how do you know? But yeah, my, my parents, Terry and Phyllis, 60th uh, wedding anniversary, uh, wow. married 1960. So, of course, uh, uh, my, my, we're going to take them out for a little celebration, a, a um, respectfully socially distanced uh, yep. celebration. We're combining the meal with um, Thanksgiving and, uh, and uh, just immediate family, but it's going to be a, a nice little... Uh, Celebration tomorrow, and uh, yeah, uh, congratulations. I don't know 
if I could, you know, I'm, I'm not even 60 years old and, I, and I'm looking for four more years. Hopefully I'll get there. But they've been married for 60 of them. So. Yeah. Well, I used to say to my parents, uh, they took too long. I, I could have been, you know, a success much earlier in my life uh, <laughs> had they got down to business right away and they took their sweet time having me. But, ah, well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we digress. Is anybody watching sports, Dave? Is anybody even watching? Because I'm talking to a lot of guys who are pretty big sports fans and they're not watching much. Maybe they're still watching some, but not as much as they used to, although there isn't really as much as there used to be. But are, are they still watching sports? I, I'm not so sure they are. The only day I think people are watching sports right now is Sunday because of the National Football League. Well, also, sorry, i got to qualify that. Sunday and Monday and this week on Tuesday because of the different uh, the rising COVID cases with the uh, Tennessee Titans. They're playing their game yeah. against the Bills on a Tuesday, which kind of right. spreads it out. But, you know, I, I really I, – Major League Baseball to me, um, I think when, you know, the Jays – you know, didn't qualify after the wild card round. I mean, I think it takes a little bit away, but I think there's bigger issues in the world going on uh, during the week, and so I'm not really paying attention to baseball. I was, you know, really paying attention this week, especially now more to the Winnipeg Jets about some of the moves that they've made uh, yep. even today, uh, which is pretty exciting, and right after the draft. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fired up about hockey, but I really don't, you know, basketball. I think the Lakers are going to close today against the Heat, and that's going to be done. And then you get into the, champ- the division championship series next week in baseball, and I don't really think that's a big deal. I mean, I, th- I really don't think there's that, that excitement level in baseball right now playing to empty stadiums. Um, NFL, they've done a wonderful job on the television product. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with the with the crowd noise and yep. um, and you know they you concentrate on the field. It really you, when you watch NFL football on a Sunday, it's an escape, and you're not yeah. really worrying about stuff like you're not, you're you're not worrying about the, the the COVID rising. You're not worrying about social distancing because you're you're watching it at home. But uh, I but but for the most part, I really think there's other things on people's mind right now <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of sports. Yeah, yeah, and you know there should be maybe um, weigh in on Paul Stasny being Winnipeg Jet again. You know, he did wonderful things back in uh, 2018 uh, when we went deep into the playoffs, and then unfortunately we, we lost kind of a money battle to the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, he, looks, uh, he looks really good playing with uh, Patrick Laine and Nikolai Ehlers, right? So I really do think that's a, a top-notch move um, for, for the organization uh, and the Winnipeg Jets because of the uncertainty around Brian Little, because if Brian Little uh, will have to bow out, maybe because he's not going to come back from those injuries, we definitely uh, need a player of Paul Stasny's resume. Uh, my only concern is he's 35 in December. So that's the only mm. thing I kind of worry about. But, hey, I'm a heck of a lot older than he yeah. is. And I'm sure he's, he's he, you know, these guys are in top-notch physical condition. And they, they can play. Look at Tom Brady, other than yesterday, other than the brain cramp that he did near the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dave, have a great long weekend. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. Jan Laguero's executive director at the Long-Term and Continuing Care Association. Jan, good afternoon. Oh, hi, Hal. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for doing this. And uh, we booked you in uh, before we got the news about three more deaths today, um, three more elderly people at Winnipeg Personal Care Homes. Uh, it, it really is heartbreaking. Oh, it's tragic, Hal. It's just tragic, Um my heart goes out to the families and also the staff because the staff really develop strong, close relationships with the residents. I know you were saying earlier that um, there's going to be a lot of empty chairs around the Thanksgiving dining yeah. table this year, and 
30 empty chairs is a lot. Um, it's, it really is tragic. Yeah, and, and really even more empty chairs than that because it's not a normal Thanksgiving. I mean, you know, yeah. many moms and dads and, and grandparents that would be at the dinner table for Thanksgiving this weekend are on the other side of a pane of glass in a personal care home. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a tough time for everyone. These are certainly uncharted waters, and uh, right now they're pretty stormy waters as well. And I know that um, it's very, very concerning for the families and the residents because of the restrictions in visitation. But you know how we can all, like every single person in Manitoba, can make a difference to the number of cases that we have in the personal care homes just by following the advice of public health officials in terms of, you know, keeping your um, celebrations this Thanksgiving to just your household, washing your hands, wearing a mask, physical distancing, all of those things are going to keep, are going to bring our caseload down. And when we get the caseload down, then we would see fewer um, instances of COVID in personal care homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, three more deaths today. Uh, I'll just remind people of the numbers. Some people may just be tuning in now. 84 new cases today, 64 of those um, in Winnipeg. And hospitalizations, we have 25 people in hospital, six in intensive care. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, you know, we, we may very likely see more deaths. And, and we saw three today. I know, I know. We've just got to get these numbers down. I noticed in the paper today in Ontario, they have the same number of cases as we do per capita, and they are shutting down their restaurants and um, all of the public places again just to try to ward off um, the high caseload. Mm. So it's it's really devastating, and boy, this is something that... You know, many of us have never lived through before and never want to live through again. You know, I was talking to my mom last night. My mom worked in a senior's home for many years. She was a cook in a senior's home, and now she lives in a senior's home uh, in southern Alberta. And I was uh, telling her about our situation here, and uh, thank God she's had no cases there in their home. Um, you know, and when I talked to her, she, the only thing she can relate it to is when her parents, when she was young, told her about the Spanish flu. I mean, this really, Mm -hmm. as you said, these really are uncharted waters, aren't they? They are. I mean, you know, we're very fortunate here in Canada, Hal. Um, I'm thankful every day for uh, the fact that we all live in Canada and we have a healthcare system we can count on. And also, too, we are we have um, government in place who is following the advice of our um, greatest experts in terms of this pandemic. And I know we're all learning as we go, but I think that we can be very grateful for the leadership that we've been shown. Agreed. What will Thanksgiving look like uh, in the homes this weekend? What will it be like for the residents? Well, you know, it will be um, within physical distancing guidelines with families wearing masks and only two at a time allowed uh, in to visit. And these are in homes where there are no outbreaks, right? Mm -hmm. So the screening will take place. Um, It'll be a very, very different Thanksgiving for everyone. And I know that all of the seniors who are able to have even those kinds of visits 
will be very, very grateful and thankful that their family can come in, even just two of them and even with all the restrictions in place. But at the homes where there's outbreaks, that may not be the case at all. Are we seeing any of the shelters in place yet at the personal care homes that were announced by the province a while ago? Any of those up and running or close? There are some that are very close, Hal. I talked to a few of our members uh, just last week, and there were three that were very, very close that will be probably um, up and running, you know, come come this week. Um, Those are the only ones that I know about. There could be one or two out there that are up and running, but those are the only ones that I know about. And I know that they were trying to get the outdoor shelters um, in place simultaneous with indoor uh, visiting arrangements because, of course, there are going to be some personal care homes who simply don't have the property to be able to accommodate a shelter, so they would have um, a small indoor space renovated to comply with all the new um, standards that we're aware of now in terms of the number of air exchanges that are needed and uh, the easy-to-clean kind of environment and, and all of those things. So everything was happening as quickly as possible because we know even though it's lovely today and tomorrow, we know that that's going to change for us. Yeah. Somebody I was talking to on the phone this morning asked a very simple question, and it's a good one. Um, why are we seeing these outbreaks in personal care homes? And, and could we have done anything differently And should we do anything differently now, in your opinion? Well, I know that we've had several discussions with government about the areas where we see there could be changes made. Uh, And we know that government is listening, and we're hoping that um, there will be changes available to us um, very, very soon. What we really need right now, Hal, are more staff and, you know, With all of the additional tasks uh, that are needed at every personal care home in terms of screening the visitors and disinfecting the areas where the visitors have been and um, screening the staff and um, just all of those additional tasks that have to be, and they're very, very important tasks, but we just simply don't have that kind of staff on hand. So everybody's working double time and, and trying to get all of these safeguards uh, put in place because not only are we safeguarding the residents, we're safeguarding the staff, and the staff are are a critical asset in all of this. We did start into the pandemic in a place that probably isn't the best in terms of shared accommodations, so about 60% of the personal care homes, not only in Manitoba but across the country, have shared accommodations. So shared rooms, shared washrooms, that kind of thing. And we've certainly learned um, the hard way that shared accommodations are not conducive to isolating and separating residents. So that's something I think needs to be looked at very, very carefully and probably quite soon as well. Certainly now is not the time to renovate. We can't uh, accommodate that kind of thing now, but... Um, I think it's time that we took a long, hard look at, at seniors' care and the way that we deliver it. Jan, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I am most thankful for the time that I do get to spend with the people when I can spend it with them, you know. I really do cherish that, and I am thankful for that, and I am thankful that they are also healthy as well. 
Yeah, it's a tough year. Be happy with what we got, right? So uh, no extra ordinaries, just keeping it simple. Well, we're thankful we're still here. We just lost her husband, so we're pretty sad. But life goes on. It's a concern to whether or not this could be the last time. So you want to be able to do what you can and be involved with them, even if it's on a tablet, talking to them. Something to make them feel part of it, at least, that you're thinking about them through the celebration. So far, we have been untouched by any any illness due to the pandemic, and that's definitely something to be thankful for. Spending time with yourself, I mean, you can't help but think about what you can do to improve yourself, but it's made me definitely appreciate and value all the things that I have uh, in my life that I am grateful for. Not that the things themselves have changed, but just the extreme to which I appreciate them. It's definitely improved, yeah. So yeah, the whole year is different. Hope 21's better. <laughs> Keep your uh, thoughts coming. 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. We'll read some of your text messages and emails as we go along here this afternoon. But Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Come on in here. Good afternoon. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Hal. It's good to have you back. It's been a while. Yeah, good good to be back. It has been a while, yeah. I uh, I miss doing this with you on, on Fridays. Mm. Hey, um, give me your thoughts on Thanksgiving. How, how should we, uh, um, not from a pandemic perspective, but how, how should we be approaching Thanksgiving? We're asking people to tell us what they're thankful for. I, I have uh, talked about, you know, waking up every day with gratitude in my heart for what I have. How, how do you look at this holiday? I think this is a great holiday, one of the best ones we have all year. Nothing like having a whole holiday based on what you're grateful for in your life. I mean, one of the main things that we're doing in therapy is helping people to reimagine how they think about their lives and reframe it uh, in order to help uh, how they feel, in order to help uh, their behavior and activities. And one of the best reframes is to think about what you're grateful for and so for people to not just have the holiday, but to actually engage in the holiday, actually think about what they're thankful for. It might seem corny to some, uh, some of these traditions of going around the table and actually talking about what you're thankful for. But I would encourage people to do what they can to take advantage of changing their perspective on their life, uh, especially when things are tough. Yeah, very well said. Thank you for saying that, Cyrus. I appreciate it. Um, some prepared uh, content here now, as we like to have uh, three or four things that we talk with Dr. Cyrus about, some headlines and some stories and studies and experiments and things that uh, Cyrus digs into us, uh, digs into and, and tells us all about them. Headline, what does being sick reveal about people's personalities? This is a good one. I don't know if this is where this is going or not, but boy, I'll tell you, some people, and, and in many cases it's men, aren't very good at, at being sick. We're whiners a bit, aren't we? Well, this is, I think, actually going after Donald Trump. This article is talking about uh, people who are very important, who who go into the hospital system and what happens to them, uh, mm. people who, who have a social prominence and uh, are considered important in society either because of being famous or because of being powerful or wealthy. And uh, it's interesting to kind of study what happens. And I agree with you. I think that sometimes there's certain people who can have, uh, you know, very the VIP mentality when they become sick. Um, and maybe that is a little bit more male. I'm not sure. But uh, this is interesting because one of the things that happens is it's often when a, when a one person who's like what this research would consider a VIP would actually enter the hospital. What often happens is there is this rush to accommodate them 
by the administration of the hospital. They are kind of bumped. Uh, anything that they can do, they will do. Uh, they will make them, you know, first in line. Um, they will, uh, which I can't really see any harm in that to the person who's actually getting treatment. Obviously, it could be harmful to the people who now have to wait longer. Uh, but to that person, it's not as harmful to kind of get put to the front of the line. However, sometimes they're given more aggressive treatments. Uh, you know, what's considered standard practice mm-hmm. is often uh, kind of gone by the wayside in an, in an effort to be helpful, uh, you know, and all these kind of minor potentially things that wouldn't be considered important in other people are now kind of investigated and they can be overtreated, which can actually lead to kind of unexpected catastrophes. Um, and so when you see somebody like Donald Trump going into the hospital, you might think, oh, this is unfair that he's getting all of this high quality care. There's actually potentially some risk for him, uh, you know, in going to the hospital and getting treatments that potentially haven't been approved, haven't gone through the same rigorous tests that the standard treatments have. And that can lead to unexpected uh, catastrophes for people in these situations. And it's often not the actual person who's asking for this. It's just the hospital's reaction or potentially friends and family. Everybody kind of reacts around them. They're just like, hey, I'm just sick. You know, do what you have to do. But everybody else kind of has this overwhelming reaction of, of, of um, over-response. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, it can actually lead to problems. And then, of course, you can also have a narcissistic personality on top of that where they will actually make demands um, and, and demand special treatment, entitled treatment, and yeah. um, you know, second opinions and things like that, and that can make it worse. Well, it certainly has been interesting, that's for sure, to use, that's not the right word, <laughs> the right word uh, to watch what's been happening with Donald Trump. And, you know, I mean, he is the president of the United States, so yes, I understand they're using everything and the kitchen sink on him to tr- to try and make him, him well, but you're right, that comes uh, with some risks as well, and, and you know, you're, you're dealing with a pretty big personality there. Uh, next headline, how family accommodation worsens child anxiety and function. What's this one? Well, people uh, have been finding that uh, adults aren't the only ones affected by the pandemic. Children are being affected and are having higher anxiety and mood disorder. So maybe this is appropriate to look at how do you respond when children are anxious. And um, the two main questions that they were looking at here, which is kind of accommodation, the questions were how often parents avoid triggers. So are parents kind of walking on eggshells? And how much do parents participate in the child's anxious response? So if the child's worried about germs, how much are the parents kind of avoiding germs for the child, helping the child to avoid the triggers, and how much are they actually helping the child to wash the, overwash their hands, for example, or something like that? Mm-hmm. So those are just examples of this, but how much are they accommodating um, you know, the child's behavior? And what they were finding is that the more the parents accommodate this, uh, the more functional impairment there is in the child, the more anxious the child becomes. Uh, so these are negative things to actually be doing is to help a child. Um, so I can't, I don't want to just say that, you know, with a blanket statement, don't help your children, uh, right. you know, and, or, or kind of uh, be sympathetic. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sympathy or empathy. I'm talking about, um, I'm not talking about having to be harsh with children at all. Um, but if you uh, don't help your child, they might call it scaffolding, like make steps for your child to actually uh, do something different than what they want to do in those moments, like to not just enable them to do these anxious responses. If you don't create those boundaries and help your child to work out their way out of the problem, um, then you're going to actually have more problems with that anxiety. 
Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is with us. He's here every Friday afternoon between 2.30 and 3. DrCyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.